Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization connecting people struggling with STI stigma to mental health services. Today's episode features Allie, who's someone who has gone through the therapy services herself. Allie, how you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good today. We just got done working out, so my endorphins are high. Yeah, this was the best time to record. I was like, hey, you want to do this exit interview or what? And I was like, sure, let's do it. Normally we go to Pancake House, but we did that yesterday. Right. <laughs> and then y'all wouldn't be able to hear if we were at Pancake House. So. Uh, yeah, so I, I slept so good yesterday after Bruh. that food. Oh I went straight home. I tried to do stuff and be productive. Mm-hmm. I passed out on the couch. I never fall asleep on the couch. I sat down for like a good 10 minutes and then was like, okay, we, because I had stuff to do. Because I was like, okay, you, you ate. It was one. Wonderful, but now we got to be productive. Yeah. But last night, that sleep <laughs> was amazing. Um, so let's go ahead and get into it because we got to be still. There's construction happening outside. Yeah. And um, I don't want to have too much dead space or small talk. So you're someone who was enrolled in something positive for positive people therapy services. You're mm-hmm. one of the initial people that I connected. Um, I... I didn't have a process, still don't, in place, but I had the money and I had the resources. So it was just a matter of um, just sending the email, connecting you two, and then you two coordinate times, Mm -hmm. and I'm out of the loop outside of what you share with me. Mm -hmm. And you and I have been in touch throughout the process, so I have an idea of what you discussed with the therapist that you were assigned, Mm -hmm. um, and you seem to have gotten along really well. So let me start by just asking you, as if I don't know, you know, how the <laughs> progress has been. For the um, listeners. Yeah, for everyone who's listening. Um, what led you to explore the possibility of seeing a therapist? Um, outright with it was my anger issues with my biological father. Um, and it was something that I struggled with for a long time, even when I didn't realize it was something I was struggling with. Because in my mid-20s, I was having a conversation with my mom about my biological father. And she she looked me dead in my face and was like, you're really angry about this. And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm just, I just don't like him. And she was like, no, that wasn't a question. You are angry. She was like, you, you need to talk to somebody. And of course... You know, when you're in your mid-20s, your mama knows what she's talking about, but she still don't really know you like that because you don't even really know you like that. But the older I got, the more I realized I could be having the best day of my life. Sun is out. There's not a cloud in the sky, and I'm on cloud nine. And if you say his name to me, it changes my whole mood. And that was when I was like, okay, so mama does know what she's talking about. And so it it took me a while to take that initial step, and it's why I'm really thankful that you reached out when you did because it had been in the back of my mind of, okay, I probably should talk to somebody about this and kind of work out what I'm feeling, and I just don't know kind of where to start. And I had another friend of mine tell me that she was in therapy, so when you know you came along with this offer, it was just like God was touching me on my shoulder like, my child, you said you needed to start, so here you go, here, here go ahead and and get yourself right so yeah so the timing was there yeah i think it was all about the timing and you know a lot of people i think realize they probably should talk to somebody or maybe even want to they just don't know how to take that first step and then being able to 
be emotionally vulnerable with someone that you don't know but is there to help is also very intimidating because I, I told a friend of mine, I said, I just don't want to. I was like, I know when I start talking about this, I'm going to emotionally break down. And I'm not ready to do that yet because I'm still just kind of, I don't like feeling my feelings, which, you know, is one of the things that your therapist, you know, encourages you to do. But at the time, I didn't want to feel my feelings about that because I knew my feelings about that weren't good. And I just wanted to feel good. But you kind of have to work through that pain in order to feel better. So you were, in order to not feel bad, um, it wasn't really about feeling good for you. It was more so about avoiding feeling bad. Oh, yeah. Big, big time avoidance. Because, you know, when you don't have to talk about something that bothers you, you don't want to. But... Anytime anybody else brings up that certain thing, you know, even without meaning to, they could be talking about their own issues. And then all of a sudden it taps into something that you're going through emotionally and don't really want to acknowledge. And then next thing you know, your whole mood is screwed up. Mm -hmm. So realizing you need to do something, but actually taking the step to do it was probably the hardest part for me. Yeah. And how soon after you got into therapy did you bring up that you were angry at your biological father and that that's what brought you there? Oh, it was the first session. Because mm-hmm. he asked me, you know, he asked me to give me a little bit of background about myself. And I was, you know, was telling him, you know, I'm 32 and I've lived here. I said, and I remember I mentioned my biological father as my sperm donor. He was like, your sperm donor? I said, that is the whole reason I'm talking to you. So we're going to circle back to that. But just know... Big star. That's that's the issue here. So that was what the majority of my work was in therapy because I knew for me that was something I've struggled with for the entirety of my life because I think my parents officially split up when I was two. And the last time... I saw him when I was 16, but that was because I wanted to meet the rest of my family. But the last time I think I actually went to see my father because I was going to see him I might have been around four because I don't think my mother was remarried at the time and she got remarried when I was six and then my brother was born when I was seven and that was before either of those events happened so I was like four or five and it was a vague memory and I don't remember being around him a lot I remember being at my aunt's house so it was somebody I didn't really deal with okay. on a regular basis. Uh, was there anything else that came up for you in therapy? Well, first, let me ask you, how often did you see your therapist? Uh, we talked on the phone once a week. Okay. Because we started toward the end of the pandemic. and Toward the end of the pandemic. Well, <laughs> toward the end of the year of 2020, because it's still a panty outside, y'all, just in case y'all forgot. Mm. But... Um, September, I think September 10th is what my phone said my first session with him was. Okay. Um, And then did that work for you, speaking on the phone versus being in person or video chat? For me it did because it was just, just to, I think I more so just needed to finally address my elephant in the room and, you know, my demons in the closet 
And it almost didn't matter if I saw you in person face to face or if I was on the phone or video chat. Although I will say my emotional breakdowns, I'm glad he could not physically see me for those. But did he know that they were happening? Oh, yeah. I mean, he could hear me crying and I'm, you know, on the phone saying, like, I'm sorry. I'm just it's a lot. But I don't I am that person. I don't do emotional displays in public. Um, and even my mom will tell you, I went to go get my kindergarten shots when I was five and this shit hurt like hell, but I waited until we were out of the, the examination room, out of the lobby where the other kids can see me. I got, I, when I got to where I knew nobody could see me is when I had my emotional breakdown. Cause my mom was just like, you know, I thought you were fine. You, you know, worked cool face. Everything was good. She said, when we got ready to leave, you were dragging me out of the room, out through the lobby, out of the office. And she said, when we finally got where nobody could see you, she said, you let it out. And she said, I was looking at you like you were just fine. And I was like, I wasn't going to let them people see me cry. <laughs> yeah. Like, Why would I do that? So I think, you know, having the emotional breakdowns was one thing that I didn't want to do because... You know, you hear people talk about how they don't like their therapist. And so it's like when you do all this emotional unloading, you want to make sure you can do it with somebody who, A, isn't going to kind of say something accidentally backhanded and make you feel worse. But also, you know, these are my deepest, darkest secrets and things that I've been dealing with for years and years and years. And I need to make sure that you understand that this is a process not only, you know, for the two of us together, but also for me to even say some of this stuff out loud. You brought up a good point. Uh, you brought up a really good point about um, not having someone say the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I never thought about it in a way of you having an emotional breakdown or breakthrough mm -hmm. or you're in a very vulnerable space. Right. How damaging or healing it can be simply to just have someone holding space for you mm -hmm. that you can trust not to do more harm. Exactly. So even if that looks like them letting you have the silence that you need in order to feel what you're feeling, mm -hmm. or if it's saying the right thing or saying it's going to be okay, I don't know what the experience was for you, but when you had your breakdown on the phone with your therapist, what was his reaction and what was your response to his reaction? Um, he, you know, let me get my emotions out because there would be times when he would ask me a question and I would be, you know, crying, especially that first session when I finally said out loud what my problem was. He was just like, you, you, he's like, I can tell you're very emotional about this. And I said, you know, this has been a 32, I said, this has been an issue as long as I've had memory. So I've been carrying this around for 32 years, 30 years, you know, as long as I can remember being able to feel a feeling. And so he, you know, was just encouraging, you know, take your time. If, you know, you need to take a minute and call me back, we can do that. And I was just like, no, I, w I think I was more so the one that kind of pushed myself in to keep going. Whereas I knew I could talk and he would give me the space to feel whatever it was I was feeling for as long as I needed to feel it for. Um, so I, I appreciate the fact that he didn't, you know, try to rush me through what I was feeling, try to kind of like tidy up like, okay, you're, you're crying, but we don't need to do that because we need to talk. No, he just let me 
feel what I was feeling for as long as I was feeling it. He would ask a follow-up question and allow me time to, you know, answer and get myself together, depending on if I could even speak because I was crying so hard. Um, And I think it was more so not even the agreeing. I think because I didn't need him to agree that I was allowed to feel these feelings. I think I just wanted him to acknowledge that I have reason to feel that way without being like, well, you know, everybody has problems. Because as much as mom, I love my mom, she actually did that one day. And it was one of those things where I was just like, it, it didn't make me look at her differently. It just kind of made me realize that even though she's a nurse, she's not a therapist. And there's a difference in the weight both of those careers carry. Like, I deal with the people that are sick and, and dying. Therapists deal with the people who are dying, but nobody can see it. Damn, that was some poetic-ass shit. You know, I, I do what I can. <laughs> but literally, because, I mean, if you look at me and how I act most of the time, I'm usually the happy-go-lucky girl. I can laugh. I can make a joke. I can do whatever. I can put shit, you know, on the back burner and continue to press forward with the here and now. But knowing that there is something bothering me that keeps me from being my true self at peace is what I have to go to a therapist for because a doctor cannot fix that. Yeah. So it's almost kind of like a mental alignment and adjustment the way you're describing it to me. Mm -hmm. Kind of like how you go to a chiropractor when your body feels a little bit lopsided. But going to a therapist has given you this mental alignment for yourself. Oh, yeah. I I would definitely say so because, again, for – However long I felt, I felt away. And when you're a kid, you don't really know what it is or how to name it because you you have the basic emotions. You have happy, angry, sad, you know, tired that's, or whatever. Say, that's it, ain't it? Right, and that's <laughs> it. That's all you know. So it's like you have a negative feeling, but you're not angry. You're not sad because you're not crying. But it's a feeling that you can't readily identify. And so it's not like you can go to a doctor and be like, well, my brain feels like this without them thinking, you know, we have to do a CAT scan for a tumor or something. The therapist is what you use for emotional well-being, where the doctors are what you use for, you know, physical well-being. Doctors can't fix emotional problems and therapists can't fix physical problems. So I knew that there was something going on with me emotionally that I had to handle and therapy was my solution. Are you still angry at your dad? I think it's kind of more so turned to indifference now. Like I wrote him a letter. (laughs) The day I ended up feeling my feelings and really just kind of letting my mouth run because it started out writing a letter but it's it evolved into me feeling things quicker than I could write them down and so I just started talking and the next thing I knew I was yelling and then I finally got to my base point of (laughs) I want to physically fight you because that is how angry I am and everybody laughs (laughs) when I say that but the best way I can think to describe 
how I feel about my father is you are the only bully I've ever had in my life because your emotional, physical abandonment hurt me that much. And I didn't realize it when it happened. I didn't realize it until now that you not being there made me look at myself like there was something wrong with me. Not that there was something wrong with you, which I now understand is what it really is, but it's like, you're half of my genetic makeup and you don't want to be around me. What did I do? Which is usually, I think, a question that we have because it's like, you know, I just got here, so what have I done to you? But then it's, you know, once you get old enough, it's the realization of, no, 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 I didn't do anything. You have the problem. Because I was a cute, chunky, happy little baby. <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't want to be around me. So what is your problem? Because I'm fine. I'm good. Like, it was just the realization of that. And so when I figured out, you know, I want to fight you, that was like, okay. I've, I've identified how I truly feel about this. And now I can kind of move forward. Because my mom was even like, so what happens when you, like, whoop his ass and he's on the ground? She's like, are you going to feel any better? I said, I hadn't thought that part through yet. I just know I want to fight him. <laughs> She's like, but you can't fight an old man. I was like, I could if I wanted to. I said, but I'm sure that's not going to happen. But when I get right down to the meat of it, that is how I feel. I'm My 13-year-old self is mad at the kid who bullied me on the playground. And, and damn it, now I'm ready to fight. I want to square up because you had no reason to hurt me like that. Yeah. You talk through the actions that your anger inspires, but now that it's shifted to more indifference, what behavior does that inspire towards your dad? It's more so a you don't have to be here episode, because uh, not episode, um, attitude, because for 32 years, for the entirety of my life, I've, I've made it without you. And it bothered me that you didn't want to be around when I was a kid, but now that I realize that you're the person that has the problem, it's not my responsibility to fix you. It's not my responsibility to fix this issue. It is my responsi responsibility to tell you what you did hurt me, and this is how it hurt me. And I'm still probably not over it because with my father, he lied to his entire family for years about his involvement with me. And, you know, because he would tell them, you know, I talked to her on the phone the other day. She's doing good. And truth be told, I hadn't talked to you on the phone since I was 13. So I don't know why you're lying unless you really just don't want to talk to your family about the fact that you ain't shit. Because that's the only thing I can think of. But once I realized that, that also, you know, went into the issue of why I'm angry because it's like, why are you lying about being involved with me when you could just be involved, but you don't want to be. And again, that's on you. So now, you know, I wrote him a letter and I still have yet to, to send it. I need to type it up and print it out, but I got his address from a cousin of mine. And so I fully intend to send it. And it really just says like, I'm mad at you because you were never there. And I would literally, I said, I would love to just, you know, I'm, I'm mad enough to put my fist in your eye and just look at you and be like, you caused this. Because, I again, I'm not the one that messed up here. I've always been where you could reach me. Our phone number for years did not change. My mama would update all numbers with your sister, whom I know you talk to. 
um, or even my cousins because they love to give him my number once he comes around and it's like, you know, I've been thinking about her recently and I really just want to reach out, but then you want to reach out to me and say something semi-crazy to where I'm looking at you like, okay, you, you're starting to choose violence and I'm trying to be peaceful. But it's just the, once I say to you what exactly what I have to say, where we go from there is up to you. If you want to, you know, go back and cower in the corner and never speak to me again and continue to lie to your family, that's that's completely on you. Mm-hmm. I don't need you at this point in my mm-hmm. life anymore. I've, I've gone through the developmental stages of needing guidance in my life. And luckily, I had, even though I didn't always see him that way because, you know, I have an issue with authority figures, I had a wonderful stepdad who was my dad on every level that really matters. Him and my ma- my mom got married at six. He's been there. He's when you were six, right? When I was six, did I say you? No, you just said at six. Oh yeah, <laughs> when I was six, they got married. Um, and he was the buy you new clothes and shoes at the beginning of the school year. He would help me study. He was always there whenever I needed him. Now, when he brought the hammer down because I messed up, of course, I was just looking at him like... You ain't my dad. Right. Yeah. I never said it because I was smarter than that, but it was yeah. one of those like, my real daddy's off somewhere. Once he come back, I ain't got to listen to you no Ooh. more. While also kind of knowing in the back of your mind that nigga ain't coming back, <laughs> which is awful. Yeah. <laughs> it is an awful feeling. But again, you know you mad about it, but you're not angry, angry like you see anger displayed on TV. It's like a it's like a low simmer on the emotional scale. It's there. It's on. And it has the, the power to turn into a quick rage, like a just a burst of flame. But for the most part, it's just a low simmer. It just kind of bubbles underneath the surface. And you don't know it until, you know, somebody mentions whatever it is that's bothering you. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I'm indifferent now. Or moving more, more and more toward indifference. I'm still a little bit angry because, again, you, 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 you are the reason I feel this way. But there's really nothing I can do about it now, other than you know process my feelings and move forward. Mm-hmm. I like that you're bringing it in to you. You mm-hmm. know, you've disassociated from the interconnectedness of his behavior influencing your feelings and perhaps even your beliefs about yourself to an extent. Oh, yeah. Maybe that having stemmed from uh, like the trigger he may have put in you is a lack of worthiness or mm-hmm. maybe like this desire to um, or abandonment issues even oh, yeah. you know so for you to be at a place of being able to separate the two I imagine that this is going to impact you in other ways like your relationships with men and your relationships in, in general um, while we're here I should have asked you this in the beginning but what are your um, what's your intersection of identities? Like everything that you want to offer here. Oh Lord. Let's see. Um, my mother is black and German. So there's the intersectionality of my race because it's, when you look at my skin color, you know, I'm black, but my hair is usually what gives it away because it's a little bit looser of a curl so I remember hearing a lot when I was a kid, what are you? Because it's like, we know you're black, but something else is, is going on there as well. So there's that. Um, I'm a cisgendered bisexual woman 
who mostly dates men because I was not, I did not feel like I had the freedom to explore sexually when I was in high school or that it was even safe to kind of say it at home, which a lot of people feel that way, especially when you grow up in a black household. So it wasn't like anybody was saying anything horrible about people who had a non-heterosexual sexuality. It was just one of those things that you just kind of heard around. It was like taboo. You knew it existed, but it wasn't like the norm. So you just kind of really didn't say anything or even just kind of like rationalized it away. Like people, it's okay for a woman to look at a woman's body, but just don't linger because then that's creepy and weird. And now it's like, well, actually that's just being a person who's bisexual. (laughs) So there's all of that. And I think that's it. Okay. I mean, whatever else you want to offer, uh, just things like able-bodied, perhaps like yeah, I, field of profession, et cetera. Able-bodied, ICU nurse. Um, I'm fun size. I'm only five four and seven quarters. We talked about this earlier. Oh my goodness. I'm five five on a great day though. When I'm, you know, when I really extend my back and stand up straight. Like but five seven with hair. Exactly, because I have a nice little curly fro, and it adds. It gives me about a good two inches. Yeah. If I really want to be five seven, anything I need to put on somebody's high heel. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this having been the most prevalent thing in therapy, it's what you came in for. It's what you've been working through and working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, did STIs, sex, herpes ever even come up in your sessions at all? It did, um, and I th- think more so. It was just a small blip on the scale of why I was in therapy because for the most part I really haven't had any issues around my diagnosis of of herpes simplex 2 which when I first got diagnosed I mean being first diagnosed to where I am now that was what three years ago yeah and you were the first person outside of my roommate who I was living with at the time and still live with now that I told because you were the advocate that was in my life at the time before I was diagnosed. And so when I got my diagnosis, I was just like, I think I need to talk to Courtney because I wasn't sure where to go from there. And it was like a few days. Cause the one thing I will say about Planned Parenthood is once they gave me my diagnosis, they asked me, do I have everything that I need? And I think at the time I was in such a state of shock. I was just like, yeah, I have what I need because I didn't know what. You didn't want them to see you break down. Well, not necessarily didn't want them to see me break down, but also wasn't really sure what what to do, what I needed. Because it was just like, oh, here's a diagnosis of something you're going to have for the rest of your life. And it's not always going to be great, but here you go. So do you need anything? And it's like, I don't think so. So it's like, if. If they had possibly offered me something more specific other than just a blanket statement of, do you need anything? I might have been able to be like, okay, well, I need this and I need this, but I don't need that. So once it finally set in that this was legit, they weren't going to call me back in a few days and be like, oh, you know, we gave you the wrong results or, you know, whatever, whatever. I was like, okay, so now I need to deal with how I feel about this and how I feel about me and how I feel about me having this for the rest of ever. And so luckily you were there and I remember the day I came and I talked to you about it and you were just like, 
you can live with this. It doesn't really stop much. And I got back on Tinder maybe after a couple weeks. And I think the first person I told kind of like left me on red. But then I had like three other guys that I told and they were just like, oh, for real? Okay, well, um, how does that change, you know, how we do sex? And I, you know, told them what you told me and I looked up shit on the CDC and kind of did my research. And I was like, you know, essentially I'll take a shower before we both take a shower after and that's it. And they was like, oh, that's all? Shit, let's let's get it popping. So I was just like, oh, shit. Herpes ain't stopping no show. <laughs> Which is like, it's, it's, it's interesting because as someone who's been trying to date both men and women, I'm starting to realize, and it's, it's, it's not a diss, but like men will fuck everything. <laughs> as long as they're, they can get some kind of uh, assurance that, you know, I'm going to do everything I can in order to protect you. And you should be fine. You should be able to walk away from this unscathed. They'll be like, well, shit, let me pull my dick out. Whereas women are just like, mm, thanks, but no. Yeah. So dating women has been a bit more difficult while dating men has not been <laughs> almost a problem. I would imagine that dating women as a woman would be easier than dating men simply because it's genital skin to skin contact. So I you would. can just say, hey, we're not going to touch genitals together we're gonna finger use toys or right all these other ways and i would have thought that as well but i think women are still fearful of being stigmatized which i i totally get it because every woman i've talked to i mean every part every partner i've attempted to have sexual contact with knows this is what it is this is how I take care of myself. And by taking care of me, I'm also taking care of you. Because the last thing I really want to do is pass this on any further than I need to. Like, if it would be great if the buck stops here. But there is a possibility that because we are going to be touching genitals, that it could. Now, I always tell everyone I deal with, because they've asked, you know, the, the question I get the most is, well, how do you keep from giving it to other people? And I'm like, you know, I take a shower before. And I let them know I'm not on daily medication. I take meds when I have an outbreak. And as someone who's had maybe three or four outbreaks in the three years that she's had it, that's actually really, really good. Um, and I'm starting to find out that flying actually is a bit more of an issue. Well, not necessarily an issue, but I think because flying makes me a little bit nervous is when I have to kind of watch myself and try and keep myself calm because I've noticed when I go on trips and stuff when I finally come home and I think I have a, a, the ability to finally relax because I'm not having to get on a plane I might have like a small outbreak that you know usually I can curb when I start taking my pills as soon as I start feeling like that tingle but um Honestly, my diagnosis wasn't really much of an issue. I think the only issue I had when I was in therapy was I haven't told my mom and I'm not sure how to. And Derek was just like, you can just tell her. And I was like, I know, but what no, if? And it's wild. No one ever told you that. Right. No one ever just said you can just tell you her. You can just tell her. And I was like, I mean, I know, but that mm, it doesn't sound quite right. And so... I think it was like a day or two after I, we had the, our talk about that in therapy. And so I just called her because me and my mom will talk about commercials on TV. It does not matter. Um, and we were just chatting. And I was just like, 
so I have something I need to tell you. And she was like, oh, God, what is it? Because usually sometimes it, it, can, it can be anything. It can be, oh, I paid off my car, my student loans. Or, oh, I wrecked my car and I need to get something completely different. She's, she's always trying to be mentally prepared for whatever I have to throw at her. And I was like, so... I got diagnosed with herpes type two like three years ago, but it's fine because like, I'm trying to go ahead and reassure her like everything's gonna be okay. And she was like, well, actually, I think I kind of figured it out, but I'm glad you told me. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean you knew? <laughs> and apparently I had had her help me clean my room. Well, technically I don't have her help me clean my room. I have her around so she can keep me on task when I'm cleaning my room, which is what I did the other day. Um, and she will, she'll go through and pick stuff up and be like, you know, what is this? Do you need it? Are we keeping it? Are we throwing away? Does it need to be relocated? And I had a bottle of pills and sent a cycle beer. She's a nurse practitioner. I know she knows what that's for. And I completely forgot that it was sitting right there. And I remember she was over by my desk that it was sitting on when she was going around my room. And I didn't want to like immediately jump in front of her and snatch it up and be like, oh, that's not for you. Uh, let me let me put this up. So I didn't say anything and she didn't say anything. So I was like, well, maybe she just didn't notice. But I was like, no, she's my mom. She saw it. But I didn't say anything because she didn't say anything. And I wasn't ready to say those words out loud to her just yet. So when I finally did and she was like, I mean, I still love you. I was just like freaking out for fucking nothing, man. Because, like, my, I always tell everybody, like, my mom is the best mom in the world. I would share her with the whole world if I could, but she'd probably get tired. But there's there's nothing I can come to her with, and she's just going to be like, well, this is just too fucking much. It's never been that way. I don't think it ever will be that way. And I always tell my friends, I'm like, if you need somebody to talk to and you don't want to tell your mama, trust me, you could tell mine, and she'll just be like, girl, you are fine. You just need a hug and a cup of tea and it's going to be fine. And so after I told her that, I was just like, well, shit, as long as my mama love me, I don't need nobody else. Uh, do you feel like that was something that you could have done telling your mom uh, had it not been for the guidance from your therapist? I probably could have. It just would have taken longer. Because I'm, I'm one of those people, I don't really like to talk about myself. And if it's something that I feel like could be perceived negatively, I really don't want to talk about it, like, at all. But again, he was just like, why not just tell her? And I was like, because what if she, like, has a problem? He was like, then that's something you can deal with then. He was like, but it's not like you purposely went out and sought to get this. It's not like you were, it's not like you planned it. You know, she was like, he was like, if she's a nurse, she would understand that, you know, things just kind of happen sometimes. And so I think that was kind of like the, the thing that I was just like, you know, okay, yeah. Because truthfully, I had an abortion in 2016 and she was the first person I told, like, I didn't tell anybody I didn't tell the person I got pregnant by I didn't tell my best friend I didn't tell my roommate I'm living with now I didn't tell she was the first person I told and it took me like a couple weeks to tell her and because she's always been pro-choice 
as have I, and I think it's just because not only are we Democrats, but we also work in healthcare, and we have seen too many instances where women are put in positions to have to keep a baby they know they can't afford and don't want. So if you don't want to do this, sis, trust me, I'm not going to be the one to sit here and tell you like, oh, well, you should because X, Y, and Z. Uh-uh. If you need to talk to somebody about doing whatever it is you need to do in order to make your life easier, then we can do that. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to tell you that, you know, these are the resources that are available to you and the options that you have. And so on paper, she's always been pro-choice, but a lot of parents will change how they feel about certain things because now it is their child that's going through it. So that was one of the things that I was just kind of like, I know she said that it's okay in the past, but it's always been okay for people that are not her daughter. So you're just going to have to tell her and it's just going to have to be what it is. And she can be upset, but ain't shit we can do about it now. So when I told her, she was just like, she was more mad I didn't tell her when I found out I was pregnant other than, I mean, cause we barely talked about the, I mean, she asked me how I felt afterwards and I told her it was like a really horrible experience that I never wanted to do ever again and was going to do everything I could to make sure I didn't have to. I said, but I was afraid to, I said, I was afraid to tell you that I was pregnant because I didn't want you to want me to keep it. And I knew I was not at a place in my life to do that. I was like, I knew you and dad would help, but at the same time, like, one thing my mom said to me years ago is when you have a baby, when a woman has a baby, that is her baby. And I think she learned from getting pregnant by my biological father that no matter what the man is going to do, because you push that baby out, that is your baby. And society also looks at the mother as the primary caregiver because we've housed it for nine months and we birthed it and we're the ones that feed and do everything else. So... I knew that based off that, I knew she would help me. My dad's a huge softie. My my best friend has kids and he treats them like his grandkids and he is the biggest baby lover in the world. So I knew he would probably be like, oh, well, dang, I can't believe you're having a baby this soon, but I can't wait to meet my grandbaby. But it was just one of those, like, I'm in a situation in my life where I am not comfortable bringing an extra life in because I can hardly take care of me right now. I can't bring somebody else into this situation. And so I still haven't told my dad because he's very pro-life. And I know if I tell him that I terminated a pregnancy, he's probably going to have a big issue with that. Of course, again, there's really nothing he can do about it now. But that's still something that I don't want to tell him because he doesn't necessarily need to know and it's not going to hurt anybody further down the line. But my mama was one of those people that I was just like, if I got it, if I'm going to tell anybody, I have to tell her because she's like the one person I tell everything to. And so the fact that she handled that well, I'm not really sure why I didn't think that she wouldn't handle my diagnosis well. But it was just, you know, the, the fear of stigma, the fear of being seen as different or damaged or less than by someone that has always thought the world of you. And you also had a framework for how she would handle you telling her that you had an abortion versus you telling her that you have an STI. Right. You don't know how she feels about that, but you know that she's pro-choice, you made a choice, y'all would have talked about it. So it was much easier for you to tell her that soon than it was to say, I got herpes somehow, some way, uh, soon. Right. 
because I got my diagnosis in 2018 and I didn't tell her until the end of 2020. So mm. two, two years versus two years on a diagnosis versus a couple weeks on an abortion, which I mean is a huge choice. But like you said, the framework well, me already knowing how she feels about this particular issue in general on abortion versus how do you feel about people who have STDs and STIs? So it was different and I'm glad it turned out well. And you know, it's, it's funny because for me, I don't wake up every day thinking, how am I going to live my life with herpes now? And there's, um, this podcaster I listen to, his name is Kid Fury and he's, um, a gay black male. The Reed or is the it Reed. a different one? It's the Reed. Okay. But he they talk about how people in society have issues with people who are, you know, homosexual. And one of the things that they touched on in one of their episodes, I can't even remember because they do so many, was um, how people be like, you know, how I feel about I ain't with all that gay shit, da 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 And he was like, literally when I wake up in the morning, I just think about how I'm going to get through the day. Being gay is not a thought on my mind. It's just something that I am. Herpes is just something that I have. It's literally not a, how am I going to not spread this all over the city today? Like, it's just, a, it's not bothering me today. I'm not having an outbreak right now. Everything is Gucci. Let me go ahead and go to the gym and then come home and, and fix my breakfast or go to work and do whatever. It's, it's, it's on the back burner most of the time. It's not something that's relevant every single day of my life and when it is relevant it's not that bad and it's 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 not stopped me from living my life the way that I want to live my life is the best way that I can describe it um there's still gonna always be some people who aren't down to you know down to get down and that's fine because for everyone that says no there are at least three that say yes so Ain't nobody hurting for no attention over here. Just letting y'all know. <laughs> know your ratio. Hey, hey. I mean, hey, statistically <laughs> speaking, I mean, we're more likely to hear no thanks, or I'm sorry, we're more likely to hear me too or tell me more than we are to hear no thanks. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a 66.6 with the line over the top. Right. Uh, probability of receiving the response that we're hoping for from a partner after a disclosure. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so yeah, just tying this all together, do you feel like you got what you needed out of therapy? Oh, absolutely. And do you feel like this is something that, uh, did it, did it help you reach a goal? Like, are you done? Is there more that you want to explore or is this, is this it? Like you conquered life? It, (laughs) I mean, there are days when I feel like I conquered life because, I'm not, I think the the one thing I said for sure when I started therapy, because Derek asked, what are you, what are you wanting to gain from therapy? And I was just like, I just don't want to be angry anymore. But through therapy, I've learned that being angry is a natural emotional response to something that upsets you. What is not okay is being angry all the time and doing self-damaging or damaging things to others because you are angry. There are ways to work through that and get to, you know, a better place. 
Am I done with therapy? Absolutely not. But right now I'm just kind of taking a break because everything else is, you know, pretty copacetic. Um, and that was, I've, I've handled my biggest issue, which was how I feel about my biological father. Okay. And I told my mom, I'm like, you know, now that I know I'm, I can really just, you know, haul off and hit him in the jaw and I can give him that warning and be like, you know, I said, I want to fight you now. We can talk about it. But if you start saying some slick shit, like it's go time, you know, I've gotten there. So it's better because now I'm just like, well, again, you don't have to be here if you don't want to. And if you don't want to, that's fine because I've made it through 32 years without you. I'm sure I can do it for the rest of my life. But if you want to be over here and be involved with me, you're going to have to act right Mm -hmm. because I I don't need you at this stage in my life. Okay. So definitely we'll go back um, probably to talk about these feelings that I have for this gentleman. That was going to be my last question. We got, <laughs> we got probably 15 minutes left That's of time. Fine. But um, I wanted to ask if therapy has changed your relationship with yourself and if so, how? And then how it's changed your uh, ability to do relationships with people around you, whether family, friends, yeah. co-workers, uh, partners, What's the difference that you notice? Therapy has definitely changed me within myself. Um, one of the things Derek pointed out that stems from my abandonment issues with my biological father is that I will try to take on the world by myself, not ask for help, and do it all. Um, because he's, he called it, I think, super independence, which... That sounds way better than independence. Don't it? <laughs> because... I know I've always felt like even though I can ask my parents, if I don't want to ask them for their help, then I'm the one that has to be able to figure out how I'm going to make shit shake and, you know, continue to do what it is I'm doing. Um, I know I always have my parents as a fallback, so I really appreciate, you know, their love and support, but I, for me want to make sure that I can do it on my own without asking anybody for help. Now, the problem with that is sometimes when you want to let someone else pick up the slack, you don't know how to say that. And not only that, you probably already anticipate them saying, no, I can't do it before they even give you an answer. So sometimes you just don't even ask. But now that I've gone through therapy and I realize that all of that is really just how I've coped with being feeling emotional abandonment from my biological father and realizing that it's okay to ask people for things or for help or, you know, for assistance. Just because they say no doesn't mean that I don't deserve help. I don't need to anticipate somebody saying no before I ask a question just because the person I feel like should have been there was not there. They're not the same person. Even though the emotional abandonment probably set me up to feel like all men would abandon me because the most important figure in my life did. So why wouldn't everybody else? Again, goes back to me feeling like there's something wrong with me and then figuring out, no, it's just something wrong with you. So I have finally in this 
relationship that I'm in now because I didn't want to use that word before. Um, I asked for a, a not necessarily a super small favor, but just a favor. I was getting my car worked on, and the guy at the dealership, it was a car alarm I was trying to get installed, told me it was going to be like all day, and I was there at like 11.30, and he said that they didn't close until like 5 or 6, and the car should be done by then. So I didn't want to sit around and wait. Um, one of my roommates was out of town. The other one was at home, but she was working. Her phone was mostly on Do Not Disturb. My mama had just rolled back in town from being at my grandma's house, and I didn't want to ask her to drive another 30 minutes to come and get me from where I was at. And I knew where I was at was close to my friend's house. So I called him, and I was just like, hey, are you busy? I need a favor. If you can't, I can, I can ask my mom, but I'm just like, I don't want to because she just got home. He was like, what's up? I said, I'm over here off uh, 70 and Jennings Station Road. Do you think you can come pick me up? I'm getting my car worked on. He said, it's not going to be finished until this evening. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. I know where it's at. I'll be there in a few minutes. Not even a question, just a, sure, I'll be right there. Not what I was expecting at all. Because again, this was very early in our situationship at the time. And so as someone who's always been used to making it work herself and not asking anybody for help or even when I do ask for help on something small somebody just you know flakes and doesn't even come through I remember I asked the man to bring me a, a clothes basket once from the dollar store and he never showed up like over a clothes basket so the fact that I'm asking you to give me a ride or pick me up from somewhere I'm thinking you might be dizzy because again he works from home it was like noon on a Friday no actually it was noon on a Saturday so technically, he probably didn't have anything to do, at least not with his official job, but I know you have shit outside of me going on, so you may not be readily available to just come and get me. So he came and he picked me up. He took me back to his house. He said he had some things he needed to work on because he asked me, he's like, well, what do you want? Where, where do you want me to take you? I was like, he said it should be finished by six. I said, so we can just go back to your house. I said, if you got stuff to work on, I'll sit in the corner and just, you know, either be on my phone and we can put on like a TV show or something. I said, but I don't need... I don't need you to keep me entertained. I just didn't want to sit up there all day. And so we just went back to his house and he hung out and then he took me to go get my car when it was finished. And outside of that, I've learned to ask for more. I still don't ask for a lot because I don't, most of the stuff I need, I got myself. And it's not like I'm asking him to, you know, pay for my groceries or anything. Cause that's stuff I need to do on my own. But I've come to the realization that now I know if I ask him for something, chances are he's going to say yes, depending on what it is. I'm not going to ask for like no Cuban link bracelet or anything like that. But I know if I need something, chances are he'll work it out and get me what I need. So what I'm hearing here is that you've gotten over or worked through this feeling of self-rejection based on a trigger that was installed by your biological father mm -hmm. that is that is the the best way to put that so you've told yourself no before giving somebody else the opportunity to say no and if they uh happen to say no or reject you it doesn't feel like anything because like you said you know the most important person in your life was not there abandoned you rejected you so why wouldn't everybody else right. so this literally redefined the narrative around your relationship to 
rejection mm-hmm. or abandonment. Yeah, it, it really has because, again, once I think it was literally once I realized it's not me that has the problem, it's you that has the problem, it was easier to be like, okay, so I do deserve all the things that I've been thinking I deserve but was probably too afraid to either ask for or feel like I deserve because this one person at the very beginning decided that he couldn't handle it and walked away. And that had absolutely nothing to do with me. That had everything to do with him. Because, again, I was six months old. I couldn't have done anything to you. It's not like, you know, the the power in my little baby hand was so strong that when I just slapped you, it just, like, knocked all sense out. Like, I didn't do anything to you. Yeah. So... It wasn't me. It's never been me. It's always been you and what you've gone through and the lack of responsibility you were able to have, I guess. Because, I mean, he's the baby in his family and all of his siblings kind of look at him like he really needs to fix this. And I'm like, I'm old enough now where I don't really need him to. But if y'all, right, if I'll, I'll be willing to work on it if he is, but again, if you don't want to, we ain't got to, because I'm good over here. Yeah. So. All right. This was good. You mind me sharing this with the world? I don't. Have at it, world. All right. You, all of you probably need therapy anyway, just to be <laughs> perfectly honest. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you. Don't think that just because somebody tells you you need therapy that you are literally crazy. You're not. Now, I do talk to myself out loud sometimes, but sometimes I need expert opinion. But (laughs) therapy really just means you are going through something and you can't quite figure it out. And sometimes it just takes a second opinion from somebody who does not know you to be like, well, you're saying this, but you're doing this. And is that really what you want to do? Or do you just feel like you need to because of something deeper? Trust me, the road to self-discovery is a hard one because it's it's difficult to look yourself in the mirror and be like, you know, all the things you do stem from something in particular. And we need to get to the root of that. Therapy is not easy. There have been days where I have had my therapy session and then I just lay in the bed and watch Steven Universe after because I literally don't have the emotional capacity to do anything else. And that is okay. It is okay to feel your feelings, y'all. I know we don't like to do that, but it's cool. It'll it'll get you where you need to be mentally so you won't be so triggered all the time. I need to mention... uh... I'm going to put daddy issues in the title. Hey, all that's right. fine. <laughs> Long as you no, know. put daddy lessons. That's the Beyonce song. Oh, uh, daddy lessons. <laughs> all right. We can do that. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you sharing everything that you have and opening up. Hopefully this will inspire people to, at the very least, consider uh, a therapist, yeah. even if it's not directly with something positive for positive people. Yeah. But uh, what I w- hope that people understand is that the therapy is not all about the herpes at it's all. Not, you at know, all. that may not even come up. And you were a good example to use here because you had already been in a good place with your diagnosis prior to me presenting the opportunity to see a therapist to you. So I'm glad that you were able to go in with something in mind to work on and then be able to work through it Mm -hmm. and uh, come out of it, you know, understanding, okay, well, you know, I got what I needed and here's how I'm going to move forward. So Mm -hmm. thank you once again for sharing. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you again for Derek because life saver. (laughs) All right. That concludes this episode of something positive for positive people. Please like,
like, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen on. And those reviews that you all leave are very helpful in bumping us up the ratings on um, rankings, not ratings, on whatever platform it is that you listen on. Um, I understand the discomfort around leaving a review and having your name or email or username associated with it. But at this point, I mean, it's 2021, you know, let that be a step that you take to initiate some kind of an action that inspires the continuation of resources like this. The more uplifting that we get as people who are advocating not only for uh, herpes education, but also mental health. You know, this is something that extends beyond just within the community of people who are living with herpes. This is bigger than that. And it's about health, period. So sexual health is mental health. That's an argument I'm going to encourage people to try and fight me on. You won't win. Like, (laughs) you can present all the facts you want. I have all of these experiences that I have coming in on a daily basis that say otherwise. So hopefully this is something that helps. You know, if you want to get involved, you can support something positive for positive people by making a donation. Visit www.spfpp.org. You'll see options to donate via Venmo, PayPal, or you can become a Patreon subscriber. Patreon subscribers don't get anything special or extra at all. I believe that everything that we do is something positive for positive people needs to be accessible to the public. So um, whether that person is in high school or a senior citizen and has no income at all, they'll be able to access this just through having some sort of internet connection, which you know is even found for free in some places. So, uh, yeah, it's if you're supporting, it's just out of goodwill. We're paying for people to get therapy. It's as simple as that. And this is just an inside look at what it looks like to have therapy. So if you're interested yourself, don't hesitate to reach out and we'll figure out how we can work together. Till next time, stay sex positive.